When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slash has a band. No, not the other band. This band. Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Two of the Conspirators have already been on. Brent Fitz, Todd Kearns. We had him back in the coffee cast, but I've switched the music, so I got the kid on. Frank Sidoris, rhythm guitar player for Slash's band, talks about growing up in Vegas, what it was like auditioning, getting a gig, leaving a gig, going to the studio, recording a record with one of his idols. What's it like touring around the world with him? What's it like being on a record with him? The whole thing. We're getting into it. Part one. That's right. Part one. There's so much stuff. We had to break it up into two. So part one this week with Frank Sidoris brought to you by my friends at Varia Brewing. They're going to send you something really rad for your kitchen. It's a three in one coffee maker. It makes mocha. God, it makes, what else does it do? It does uh, the cold brew. It does the French press. You name it. You can make tea in it. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. It's a really rad addition to your kitchen. All you got to do is like, share, enter into the draw. I'm picking a random. You're going to win one. Episode four of the music cast with Frank Sidoris from Slash's band. Part one starts right now. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Music Cast, brought to you by people who love music, people who make music, and all things, well, music. You still don't really know who he is, but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the coffee cast. So, get off the John, grab a ghetto blaster, hit record and play at the same time, and learn a thing or two about music. It's the Brenton on Tour Music Cast. Here's BD. There it is, some Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. And I've got the third conspirator to appear on the podcast, Mr. Frank Sidoris. How you doing, buddy? The third and final conspirator coming at you. That's right. There's no more conspirators. You guys are out of conspirators. That's it, yeah. You have a bunch of fill-in conspirators, but the core conspirator group... Right. Has been on the podcast and here we are. Crazy to consider. Welcome, buddy. All the way from Las Vegas. How you doing, my friend? I'm very good. It is a wonderful uh, transitional day season-wise in Vegas, which uh, we get about usually two weeks of fall at the most. So all the leaves have changed and uh, we are enjoying this weather. Come, uh, I, you know, my mom was just down there with my sister and stuff and they had a great time. So uh, awesome. they said the weather was perfect and rad. I'm guessing the transition time is a balmy 80 degrees is that what it is you know it's funny is that uh it's so random but you just no one in the world expects it because i'm one of the few people that are that was actually born here and i could speak from experience that it gets cold here like you know but it's not canada cold like you guys are used to but you know a good 29 degrees fahrenheit uh but right now um a week ago it was about high 40s and today it's about 76 so it's just all over the map right now it's a weird time but you're a vegas guy right you're born and raised yeah born and raised yeah so has it been, 
you know, like this always, because I keep hearing about the blasting heat of that, uh, of that state. And oh, yeah. I just heard about it snowing last year. I was in Vegas a couple of years ago on my birthday in February and went out to Charleston there and it was snowing at one of the pubs or something like that. And I was like, what the hell's going on here oh, it was crazy. in Vegas? So, it was the worst snow we hit, we received in, in years. And I think the last time it snowed that hard was probably 12 years ago or so, maybe 11 where, um, you know, the city doesn't, I mean, why would we ever spend the money to get, to buy the salt and to, uh, you know, de-ice runways? So we don't, we just don't need it. That's not even a thing. And so when, when it does actually snow, the entire city just melts down. Well, shuts down essentially. I was going to say, it must just shut down. Completely. Yeah. Like all the streets, no one knows how to drive in it too. And, and to, uh, the craziest thing, I'll tell you this, um, we were out in Paris when it happened. It was two days of snow in Vegas and uh, my wife was trying to fly out to Paris and the day that she was supposed to fly, uh, the entire airport shut down. And that was the day it snowed. <laughs> it was so bad. Believe it or not. Vancouver can get like that. I mean, we get a lot of rain, but uh, when they get the heavy snow, it's it's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the country just laughs at, uh, laughs at us because, well... You're not winning. Well, we laugh at them the rest of the time with our weather, but uh, yeah. the occasional snow, it's it's a it just shuts the city down. So it's funny to watch. Yeah. Uh, welcome aboard. I'm uh, assuming you got some coffee there. I sure do. I'm uh, you would, all, the, uh, all the octane in the world. I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you and Mr. Fitz uh, leading the coffee charge in that band, I, I believe. Oh yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. I have. Uh, did he mention the list that I have? I don't know if you guys have gone into that or maybe me and you. No, we never into got it. into that. What is this list you, you, you speak of? So this, uh, it's something that I've never given to anybody, um, as a whole, like I've never given, sent the entire thing over, but it's uh, a compilation of every single coffee shop I've ever been to worth, no, worth writing down across the entire world. So it starts, uh, in LA and it literally just spans the entire globe and, uh, so like, say you were going to Dubai or you told me you're going on tour in Australia or wherever. And what I always do, you know, for friends and anybody, I just give them like a little copy and paste of that specific city they're in and just send them the best coffee if they're into coffee. And, you know, a lot of friends have told me to publish this or do something with it, but I actually, you know, I just don't know where to go with it first off, but I, I really love it. Cause you know, when I'm back in Japan or I'm back wherever I just reference like, Oh, right. There's that killer place. And Brent Fitz and I go and we re-enjoy it. <laughs> it's awesome, man. Also, you know what? You're the only person I, I feel comfortable. You and Brent, I can send it to you guys. The two Brents. What a guy. Because yeah. up to this point, I'm relying on Sprudge out of Portland. And mm-hmm. I'm relying on uh, European Coffee Trip. So nice. if you got other ones, I'll add them to the list. Because I'm generally traveling with some coffee heads. And I missed you on Absolutely. the Coffee Cast. We only banged out 10 episodes. So uh, this is uh, I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about it. Which, you know. We'll oh yeah, no, I, yeah, I was gonna say course. no pressure, Which but is, I, I've got all all your answers for uh, you know a bunch of cities, but uh, it's been fun. I love it. So Vegas, born and raised. Uh, what's growing up Vegas like for Frank? Well, you for, know what I mean with me, the music scene. Well, it's interesting because for me, you have um, like well, I'll just back it up. There's the the normal life that you can actually. Uh, be raised around in Vegas that a lot of people just assume doesn't exist because, you know, and I can't blame everybody for thinking this, but it's, you know, the strip and that's all they assume. But there's the entire, um, just outer ring of Vegas that is, uh, you know, Henderson, Summerlin, that's your suburbs. And that's where all of us are, you know, you go to school and you live a normal life, but if you want it, just eight miles down the way is, uh, the strip and you could see 
shows and do that entire thing. So when I was growing up here, you know, I was born in 88, but the 90s Vegas was when it transitioned back into a more family Vegas. So for years, it was just an adult playground. That was the idea. That's what they always called it. And then not like late 80s to 90s is when it became like the family. They had Wet and Wild, this huge water park in the middle of the strip. They had theme parks everywhere and um, tons of family uh, shows, right? And my mom, she's a she's been a dancer for you know her whole life, and then she now a producer. But back then, uh, her and my dad worked on the on the strip. So my sister and I would constantly be eating in buffets for free or <laughs> seeing you know shows weekly with family, you know. And that's the thing about Vegas is that if you lived here, the only time you went to the strip usually was to take your family to go see a show. But for me and my sister, that was our life weekly. We were always down there. And, and I really love it because we embraced it and it's still very much a part of our life, but it's, uh, you know, Vegas is, it's not what, what a lot of people assume it to be, but it's, you could, you could be normal growing up here. It's, uh, when you, it's when they take down the hotels, like I, I saw, they just took down the hard rock uh, in the last couple of days or they're in the oh, process they're about to, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Is that a piece of you going with it as well? Because Absolutely. we, we, as you know, we see it on TV and everyone flies in twice a year and they, they could do their Thursday to Sunday and they, you know, and they cry a little bit when the Imperial palace closes and then they put, you know, yeah. uh, they, they still go up and get a good deal of the Excalibur and they do the whole thing, but it's changed from the standpoint of the Vegas that we all grew up with in the movies, even yeah. when you see these go away. But as a resident, I got to think every single time one of those old places comes down it stings a bit, right? Like I like the know. way you put that because a piece of me definitely goes with, I could think of uh, a bunch of hotels that have gone so far. It's just, if you back it up, it was, uh, I, I used to stay at the Frontier Hotel. We kind of lived there for a minute and um, we were there for maybe like a, a month or so. And uh, I used to love that place. And, you know, 2006 or seven, that got imploded. And, uh, you know, that one hurt, but, the entire family, everybody goes out, the entire city goes and stands on a parking garage uh, across from this, you know, across the street from that hotel. We just watch it go down and it's, it's the worst, but it's also something I was raised around. Uh, you, you saw it, you've seen it for years, but uh, the frontier then for me, the worst was the Riviera because my mom and dad worked there and um, we would, we were there constantly. Like that was, I think second I spent, home. Yeah. I spent more time in that hotel than any other. And that's uh that was rough. So what we ended up doing before it went, we got their uh, presidential suite for a, you know, stupid deal because they were closing. And we just had a huge party with all the old cast members of the shows that my mom used to dance in. And we all just hung out in there one more time and then they blew it up. And uh, the Hard Rock, you know, I've, I had my 21st birthday there. You know, <laughs> I just, everyone spent time there. That was the, that center bar was the place, you know. But uh, to really answer your question, it's like, you know, any of those classic ones that are, the, I don't know. Just I spent so much time in a lot of them and uh, across the entire board, like all of the strip, and, and so to see any of it go just sucks. And next up is Circus Circus. Ugh. and that's gonna that there's. I mean, that's, that's just famous. Legendary. And, yeah. That's a legendary, right? So yep. that and Tropicana. But does it also balance it with a with a with a little bit of excitement from as to you know the infrastructure that's coming into the city as a result of these changes, or is it one of those things that you're feeling like? I mean, that's it. It's just the whole thing is changing. It's not the same. Like, I'm curious, like my wife's in the, in the, in the gaming industry, uh, you know, and I, I know this is a music podcast, but I, I am curious from a, a standpoint of, 
of a, a resident there that was born and raised there. Mm-hmm. Who's going to replace everybody? Because I know no one under 30 is gambling right now. So where's, where's everybody going? What are they going to do? And they're tearing down Circus Circus, all the, all the low, you know, all the cheap places to gamble. <laughs> yeah, and it's all, yeah. it's all replaced with, with expensive places. Like what's next for Vegas, you know, in that whole scene. And that's, I guess, a different podcast, but I am, I am curious. That is an interesting question because, you as know, to it, your thoughts it, on that. It's funny. I don't know, maybe how vinyl and I don't know if it'd be the same, how things come back around after time after some time goes on. But uh, I mean, you still have these places like downtown Vegas, the very first casino. And, and you know, uh, I think it's the, <clears throat> I'm, I'm forgetting the name. <clears throat> I'm forgetting the name of this place, but it was like the address is actually one Fremont street. Right. And these places are actually destinations for people to go down there and just gamble. But I don't know, man, it's a, it's kind of a weird transitional situation we're in because, you know, the circus circus, the Tropicana and the Flamingo are the, I pretty much, as far as the strip goes, the, the last one's holding on. And, uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I, the shame for me is that the Riviera, like I mentioned, was imploded for a huge parking lot, you know, Joni Mitchell style. Well, it's a shame. It's a shame that they, that the other side of it too, is that when, you know, us growing up, at least, you know, every movie we've ever seen about Vegas growing up, it was, you know, uh, all the old hotels were all featured and all the rest of it. And now all your little cuts of Vegas are going to be like VIP tents and, (laughs) and, you know, the Aria and the Cosmo and people not gambling and just sitting around drinking $40 martinis. So it's kind of, it's going to be a weird, it's a, it's a weirder thing to me, but anyways, so that, so where was the first, you know, uh, walk me through coming through that. Obviously there's, you know, a whole scene there just on its own. Um, bands coming out of, you know, Vegas that are inspiring you to play. Where does that start for Frank? Where is that? Like, obviously you're in the entertainment business. You're surrounded by musicians. You're, you're, you know, mom's dancing. There's all this stuff going on. Yeah. Is it like, give me that guitar. This is what I'm going to do. How does that start for you? Well, it's funny. Yeah. My, my whole world was, like I said, that there's entertainment business around at all times, but nobody played an instrument in my family, really. My mom played the piano, but I was the only one that actually went towards the guitar. And so there was a couple of friends that played guitar because I'm a skateboarder. You know, I skated my entire life and that was, that's all I did. But I started pick, I picked up the guitar at 15 because a couple of my friends were playing and I just, you know, I was always a huge music person. My whole family loved music just as fans. But, uh, it was one of those things where like I, I needed to take it to the, my, my music appreciation to the next level. You know, it's like, I love these Alice Cooper songs. I love these Beatles songs, but I can't play them. So it's that next step. And, and once I got to play them, uh, I, I just jammed all the time and I slowly, um, I think in high school, just playing guitar with a couple guys, it just turned into a thing of like, well, you know, uh, I'm playing in this band and we need a guitar player. So the short version was uh, just that maybe a year or two out of high school, I ended up joining a band, uh, and we ended up calling it St. Rose, <laughs> like the street, which, uh, you know, and the hospital if you're if in Vegas. So if you're not local, it's, it's a lot cooler, but if you're in Vegas and you're like, your name's St. Rose, <laughs> it's pretty funny, but, um, it's not cool a, until it becomes a thing. And then it becomes the coolest thing ever. Then it becomes, yeah. So think if we, if we did, uh, explode, then people would drive on St. Rose or go to the hospital. Oh shit, dude. It's like that band, but totally. <laughs> yeah. So 
the guitar player of that band, his name is Robert Zakarian. It was me and him. We were best friends and still to this day. But he ended up going on to play guitar for this band called Adelita's Way. You ever heard of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so have, they're, yeah. They're still going, but he he's no longer with them at this point. But he was the first of us to go on tour. I followed shortly after. I ended up joining a band called The Cab. So they're a local. I mean, it's funny because they're local. They came from Vegas, but they just they blew up. Uh, they were kind of you know like Panic at the Disco and Fallout Boy, Paramore. All of yep. them they exploded at the same time, and um, the Cab was one of them. And so, a couple years down the road, uh, they needed a guitar player, and so I had no touring experience. I was actually supposed to play guitar for Cirque du Soleil. I was going to play in their uh, Elvis show at Aria. Speaking of Aria, no. so that was a uh, you know that was as far as I had planned. This you know because we were playing in bands and locally, which is cool, but. Um, you know, as far as actually having a, a job as a guitar player was pretty exciting. Like, okay, I'm going to play for Cirque. And then this opportunity came along. The lead singer was just like, hey, man, um, you know, we have a space. And I know you're going to do the Cirque thing, but what do you think? Would you like to go on tour? So we just did a, a run of the States, opening up for, like, Simple Plan. And, and we ended up touring uh, Canada with Avril Lavigne. We played Rogers, Rogers Arena. Yeah, well, there's a couple. There's a couple different Rogers, but depending on where it is, there's one in Vancouver. There's one in in Edmonton now, and uh, yeah, they're all over the place. So, so yeah, one, up, one of the Rogers places. Yeah, I was gonna say they're everywhere. So, uh, my first touring experience was with this band. It was cool because we just, you know, we went, we did the states, we hit Canada, but we got to play all the hockey arenas, you know, uh, Calgary and Edmonton, and uh, then we went to Singapore and Australia. Did the Soundwave Festival, Japan. And so I had like a nice, you know, eight to nine months of just straight uh, global touring for the first time. So this would have been 2011. That was and the first time that you went out. That's the first time. But uh, now, mind you, I actually had met Brent Fitz. So my current drummer, I had met him randomly. Uh, it's such a fun story because uh, when me and this guy met, it was just immediately like we're friends. We just talk about coffee and guitars and music. So they're all, you know, just we love the same stuff, right? So randomly, I, I see him at a sushi joint in Vegas, and um, I was with a friend who had opened for Slash. So I didn't know Brent personally, but I knew him from, uh, he played with Alice Cooper. So I knew that. That's all I knew. And uh, we get introduced to each other, and we talked all night about, you know, all sorts of stuff. So then he was like, hey, let's get a coffee, and we'll hang. So for the next, uh, roughly, I think it was like maybe a year or so, we just hung out. And there was no promise of any sort of gig. I just knew he played with Slash and we would just chat about, you know, his travels and blah, 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 my travels. And if you could believe this, this is my, I love this story because it's just so, uh, looking back on it, I, I don't know how I wasn't uh, more exhausted, but last minute they had gotten rid of their guitar player in Slash's band. So, you know, at the time it wasn't called Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. It was just Slash featuring yeah. Miles Kennedy, you know? And um, they had this other guitar player and they, they got rid of him in, uh, right towards the end of their recording of Apocalyptic Love, which is the first Conspirators title. So uh, Brent, I, I get a call from him like, hey, um, you know, this is, uh, I don't know if you can make this happen, but, you know, he kind of prepped me for, there was some time like back and forth, like, look, this might happen. Can you come down to LA? Uh, we're trying out guitar players. And so he gave me like, you know, there was a couple of weeks notice of like, okay, well, this might happen. Maybe you could do it. If you can come down, we'll figure it out. And I was, I'm in the middle of a tour. So I'm back in Canada with the, with the cab. Right. So this was uh, Super Bowl Sunday, 2012. 
so in February. And I ended up getting the green light, so I buy a plane ticket. It was the only day off we had, so it just perfectly worked out. It was on a Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. I flew from Toronto to Los Angeles. to uh, I went straight to the uh, rehearsal space and just auditioned for Slash. Uh, based on, and they took, you know, because of Brent's recommendation, he, he just said, this is a guy I know. And it wasn't, it wasn't an open call. It was definitely like one of those, like, you know, Hey, we got a friend. I think, you know, we could trust him, have him come down kind of thing. So, uh, went down there and just played a bunch of the slash solo songs and played paradise city. And it just felt great. Like the guys, it was so loose and everybody had a good time. And, uh, I just thought no matter what, you know, if I, I walk away from this, like that was cool. You know, totally. I flew. I left at 6 a.m. Toronto time. So I was, you know, I got to L.A. I was out of my mind, but, you know, I'm high from the experience. I'm feeling great. And we just, we gelled. And so I walked away thinking, look, if I don't get the gig, I, I had a good time with these guys. We played Paradise City. I played it with Slash. I can walk with that. And that's a, that's a high note, whatever. And um, about, I think the next morning I fl- at 3 a.m., I flew to Buffalo and met up with the tour again. And so, uh, Two days later, I'm in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and I get a text from Slash. And he's like, hey, man, I'm going to call you uh, tomorrow. And that's all I get. I'm like, okay, sounds good, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, how are you supposed to function, right? Yeah, I was okay. like, what? Oh, okay, sounds good, man. You know, talk to you soon. So then he calls me after sound check, and he's just cool as hell. Like, hey, man, how's it going? How's your, uh, how's your gig? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, he's like, so... By unanimous decision, uh, we want you in the band. I mean, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, and I got so much going on. I'm good. And then I hung up the phone. That's not true. So I, uh, <laughs> I said, hey, dude. Uh, no, I said, uh, absolutely. I would love to. I, you know, and he just, he was so cool, man, because he doesn't even know this, but uh, he goes, well, is there anything you need? Like, do you need any gear? Do you need uh, any amps or guitars? Like, you know, he's asking me this. and to answer his question truthfully, uh, I absolutely needed amps and I needed more guitars because I only had three guitars worth touring with and I only had one killer amp. So I was like, I don't have any backups. And with running with Slash's World, you need two separate rigs of, at a minimum, two heads, uh, two cabinets, eight, eight to ten guitars in each rig. You know what I mean? And I only had three. But I lied to him and said, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> I got everything. And so... uh just to make sure I was solidified and I didn't have any sort of hiccups. I just said, yes. And, uh, through Brent and, and a lot of friends and Gibson guitars, uh, coming through, they said, look, you know, they loaned me a couple of guitars. They ended up just letting me keep. And I ended up buying a bunch over time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really, I worked hard to make that work, but you know, in hindsight, knowing slash now, it would have been as simple as like, a what do you need? Okay, no problem. But <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, hey, you're just you're in a in you're heading to Buffalo, mm-hmm. and you're thinking about that gig. You're not thinking about, you know, you're just happy to be out touring, right? On the other one, right? And the next Absolutely. thing you know, you get this gig. And so, walking into that audition with Slash, like your minds, obviously, you have a bit of background because you're talking to Fitz, and you guys have been talking. Are you yeah. going in with these songs already in the can? Were you woodshedding at home, like just on your own, just like, Hey, maybe one day I'll get to play with slash. Or is it just, you, you know, you're such a consummate pro. You got these things, you know, in your back pocket and you can just rock it at any point. And which is a lesson, I think, you know, anybody listening who is wondering about how this business works, this could be a very valuable lesson for you. So how does Frank walk into rehearsal and nail it? 
Well, for me, I'm the uh, man, and, and my wife will completely agree, and and we could do a whole podcast on this alone. But my preparation and my the way how I like to be prepared is just overly. It's just ridiculous. Like I I go above and beyond to where I just need to relax and I shouldn't do it as much as I do. But, you know, I worry a lot. Like, so, you know, with this, with the audition process, it was like, Hey Brent, like what songs do you know? What are you going to play? What do you think we're going to play? He's like, I really don't know. And I'm like, well, okay, shit, no problem. But I could wing it if we have to, but I'm, you know, of course you want to be prepared as you, as you can be. But I learned that uh, most of the time that I sweat and then I worry about things like, man, I'm going to be, you know, I've played corporate gigs with dudes that are just crazy pros, crazy, you know, like they have this reputation of, uh, or, you know, whatever you think about these people. And you're like, man, I wonder how this guy's going to be if I don't show up and I don't know every single note to this song. I know this guy's going to call me out on it. Or, you know, I think I'm just curious, you know, I have no idea how it's going to go. And I assume the worst. And uh, ultimately by assuming the worst, I prepare and I show up and 99% of the time, everything is way easier than I prepared for. You know what I mean? Like I roll in there stressing out, like learning the songs note for note. And, uh, everybody there is like, wait, so how does that drum intro go again? And I'm like, Oh man, you know, (laughs) but, but I will say that has definitely, uh, helped me ultimately uh, brought out the best in me is that I, I prepare almost for the worst. And, you know, there's plenty of times where it's like you roll in and it's like, oh, you know what? We don't have a set. We don't have anything going on. You just wing it. And that's always cool because it's loose, you know. But the way I've always operated was uh, it's like, okay, give me the set list and I'm going to I'm gonna crush this. I'm going to just study it as much as I can uh, and learn the songs better, as, as good as I possibly can, you know. And, and I roll in there uh, over overly prepared usually. And I don't think, you know, if you're doing this for a living and you choose to do it, like there is a difference between doing this for a living um, and kind of pretending to do it for a living. Mm -hmm. And then there's weekend warrior. And then there's, there's so many versions of doing it for a living. Mm -hmm. And most of the guys that I know that are really doing it for a living are all the way in. And that's the same. I know that sounds cliche. It's the same with any kind of profession. You're 10,000 hours, the whole shebang. But some, there, there is a substantial amount of people who get by on winging it. And I think that eventually that catches up. Hopefully it doesn't catch up to anybody judging podcasts. But right. <laughs> as I make my way through and stumble through. But this is me learning how to play guitar, Frank. So... Yeah, you know, it right. kind of goes through this process and, you know, it's, you know, every podcast is, is hopefully smoother than the last one and it keeps going. And it's like any, any musician, the first time they run a song and then the second time they run a song and then you just hope that the work that you put in eventually pays off. And I think that in yeah. this particular case, in your particular case, you've proven that being overprepared really in the end, and you've probably seen this in life anyways, that you get nervous, you over-prepare and then you get there and it's not a big deal. That's what trying out, trying out for a ball team. That's trying out for a hockey team. That's at the end of the day, if you've put the work in talent wins, I've always been a huge fan of talent always wins. I find that it's usually, you know, you put the time in, you're going to win. Yeah. And you know, know, you're going to win. So, so that's a, 
hell of a journey for you to go, you know, and obviously that was big enough going on the Avril thing because at that point she was, you know, doing great and still doing yeah, great and, and she's doing her thing. And the, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the basic, I mean, cause I've talked to a couple of people about it before, but personally, you know, mentally that I was there, uh, for, for all of this to where if you said, like, I, I am the type of person to where if you say, Hey, um, tomorrow I need you to at least know six songs and do this and do this and do this. I'm like, okay, well, I've never done this before, but, uh, I'm going to do it. Or like, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Like I need, no, 25 songs, 30 songs in two days. It's like, okay, you know, I got it. I'll do my absolute best. Like I, I'm going to go for it. And with this, with this cab situation, it was my first touring, right? Like first touring experience. I learn the songs. I go on tour. I have a great time. And then just a couple months in, it's like, Hey, or, you know, eight months after it's like, uh, can you audition for slash? And it's like, I know that that's where my heart would be. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I listen to everything and I truly, truly listen to everything, but you know, playing in a rock band is something I just, I love so much. It, it is just, you know, it just felt like this would be, this is the perfect gig for me right now. I want to do this so bad. So did everything I possibly could to get it. And I thought, you know, I was 23 and everybody, um, I forget like how old they would have been at the time, but, uh, roughly like 43, 45 ish. Everybody else was. And so I remember Todd even saying, he's like, yeah, like the kid, we're going to hire the kid. Like, you know, before we even played, he was like, wait, how old's this guy? And I don't blame him. Right. It's like, well, I would feel the same way in his situation, his position, but it's like, I really just, uh, I worked my ass off and, and Brent can, you know, I'd hang out with Brent and we would just go over songs and he would just really help me in every possible way to download all of this information in such a short amount of time because I ended up having to do a gig with Slash shortly after joining. Like I ended up, uh, once I got the gig and I got that call, I just was like, all right, well, give me a set list, give me anything. And I still had to do an entire tour uh, in Australia and do all sorts of shit before I came back to LA, film a music video with Slash, do all these performances in a weekend. And, and I was just out of my mind, but um, I, I don't know, man, it's the hard work. You, you just, you have to do it. And, you have to be dedicated. Like you said, dude, it's like, there's people that wing it. Like, there's no way I could, I could, there's no way you're winging that. What, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what I went through, I had to work so hard to make it happen. And that might, you know, that's not meant as a discouragement to people that are, that are looking at the and music. I hope and nobody it, feels that No. Way, yeah. And I, I would think that hopefully it would drive people, but it's not, it's not easy. But then, you know, I think the reward pays off in the end with the hard work, like anything in life. So is that your moment then, Frank? Is that like, obviously you had set out for some goals to make, you know, either make a living in music or, uh, you know, was there sort of like a list that you threw against the wall and said, I, there's 10 things I need to accomplish in life. Obviously, Slash is a very specific example of landing a big gig, but you had already had a big gig ish opening you know on the avril tour and then wherever that was going to go from there but right the slash thing comes along and it just proves to you that you know i've always been a proponent that like you strive to achieve and then you achieve the top of one level which is the bottom of the next level uh-huh and Absolutely. then you strive, then you get to the top of that level. And then it's the bottom of the level above that until you find your comfort zone where you're at the top of the level that you want to be at. So I'm sure it never ends, but this is a great, you know, measuring stick for you. 
as far as like, it'll just keep going as Slash wants to keep going and, and as hard as you work. So do you consider this that moment for you where you've accomplished a good substantial portion of what you set out to do, or is just this the, the beginning for you? Like where, what is your thought on that and where you're at right now in this journey? I, mean, I think the jumps were, were very large from St. Rose to potentially playing with Cirque to a touring gig to slash, you know, in a very short amount of time to where it was a lot to take in and, you know, you never get used to it, but I also think this is something for me that I, I feel like is a, it's an amazing thing to do, but, you know, I definitely have set my sights on other things uh, in the future. This isn't the end. I, I would, I would never say that. I definitely think that so I'm always writing and I'm, I want to do my own thing very soon and I'm going to, but you know, there's, there's other gigs that come by and the time off and it's, it's, it's really cool, but it's also like, uh, it's an interesting spot to, to find yourself in and, and think like, okay, as a guitar player, it's like I'm playing with Slash and it's, it's so much fun and it's, you know, there's a lot of freedom within it. Like when we write and all that. And then I think about how I'm in the studio with Slash writing my own guitar parts. But if it's me and Lady Gaga or someone in that, of that stature, and when you're playing with them, you're very much not a part of the program. I mean, you're there, you're part of the solar system, you know, but you're not really, I don't think she's going to be consulting you for uh chord changes and, and some ideas if that makes any sense, but I don't know. But that happened for you. Then. That happened for you on the last slash record. Correct. You did have a lot of, oh, I yeah. think I saw slash talking about that. You made a pretty major contribution to the record. Dude, I was, uh, it was so cool, man, because, you know, the, the backstory is that when I, I, like I said, I joined when the first Conspirators album was literally finished. Like, I was in the studio with Brent when he was doing some auxiliary percussion. And, uh, and I just, uh, I think it was the day, the day of the audition or the day after. Like, sorry, that's what, we did the audition and then I went to the studio with Brent. That's what it was. Sorry, I'm going off the track here. But then the next album was World on Fire. So I did the entire Apocalyptic Love tour. and then uh slash said i'm gonna he i'm gonna do all the guitar parts uh rhythm and lead he called me and told me that and i was like that's fine you know whatever and i think to gain slash's trust it's like there's there's a certain amount of time and he's a very he's the most uh interesting guy i think i've ever met in my life there's no one quite like him so for him to trust you uh it, it takes some time and i i don't blame him so world on fire he did it all on his own and then the that whole tour we would be writing at sound checks and that's just, you know, that's the way we write because slash is so busy. It's like when we're on the road, every sound check is a, is a new riff and a skeleton of a song. We'll just come up with the frame. And <clears throat> once that tour was over and he did the guns and roses reunion, uh, we ended up going straight into the studio and working on everything. And he asked me, he's like, Hey man, I really want you to be on this album and I want you to do your own thing. So I had so much freedom with what every, everything. So like, you know, the, the structure is slash has a riff. He gives it to Brent and, and Todd. Cause you know, Brent gives a, it, it's slash's thing is he loves to play along with the drums first. And then Todd's always there kind of follow slash around. And then I just put my thing on it. So, uh, I would get the songs in Dropbox and I would just write everything I wanted to it. And then I presented it to the guys live, like in person in the studio. And then, I'd say for the most part, 95% of I, what, what I came up with is, is what you're hearing. And he was, uh, 
really receptive to it. So it was, it was fun, man. Like, and that's, that's something I'm so happy to be a part of. Cause you know, I had never played on a major album before. You know what I mean? Like I've recorded a ton and I've done all sorts of stuff, but it's not really noteworthy. But my first major debut was with Slash and it was very much my own parts. But, and I think about like, if I joined like Pink's band or, you know, and I love the pop world. I always consider like what it would be like, but I feel like it just wouldn't be the same. And ultimately my next step, I feel like would have to be on my own. It would have to be something that I, I write and I go out on, go tour and do my own thing on. And what a band to be, a you know, to be given the freedom to do that. Like, and I, all, all friends aside, cause you know, three of, of his band guys are, are friends of mine. And, right. you know, to me, if I, if I walk back and remove this from the equation, he's, in my opinion, has one of the best rock bands on the planet. And so just sheer power coming off that stage of, and talent coming off that stage. You've got Miles, one of the greatest rock voices. You've got Todd, one, of the, other, rock one of the other greatest <laughs> rock voices who yeah. plays a tons of stuff. You got one of the most <laughs> solid drummers on the planet who just nails every gig on the planet. You've got yourself in there providing some killer, killer um, backup to this and just your own freedom that he's giving you. You've got yeah. one of the single greatest guitar players on the planet. This is like a mixed bag of, and you see a lot of bands come together, but I'm, I just, I have an opinion and it's my only real moment amongst this thing where I just say, I honestly feel like slash his actual solo band is one of the best rock bands on the planet. And it's the ultimate, you know, opening act for anything, you know what I mean? That goes out and it's the ultimate headlining gig in both cases. It's really yeah. killer. You know, if you're going to a massive festival and it's slash leading into Iron Maiden, <laughs> like, Absolutely. Or so, you know, or no, so, it's like, yeah, or you've it been there like and that. it's like just Aerosmith like, Smith, and yeah, I'm with you on that. There's no possible way that people are not, you know, I think about it as a fan before I joined the band. Like totally. To point, like I think about when they were going around, they were opening for Ozzy and I was like, dude, you guys going to go see Slash and Ozzy at Mandalay Bay? That's the coolest shit ever. Like that sounds so, you know, like that sounds like a great gig. And then you go and it's just hit after hit. And then it just becomes about the records at that point, because he's out playing the gun stuff before. Now you guys are playing the records. So it's a two and a half hour, you know, what solo artists can really pull that off. And it really speaks to the band that he put together. And so to, for him to give you that freedom to join him making a record, and let's mm -hmm. keep in mind that, and I'll, I'll get off the topic in a second, but let's keep in mind that every single, single thing that he writes, people are like, it's amazing. Before Guns were together, it was like, okay, this is all Sasha's solo stuff. And then the Guns thing happens and people are clamoring a bit for them to put out new music, but then Slash puts out a monster rock record, right? <laughs> with one of the best rock bands on the planet. So then it has no choice but to up the Guns N' Roses stuff that's going to come out. So everyone wins. So I just yeah, think true. that it's it's a really cool thing for you to be a part of. And to have that be so, and I know you've been playing a long time, but to have that be relatively early in your journey. Absolutely. This is a huge, huge feather for you. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Cause, and I, I sit back and I would listen to the demos that we did that day. Cause every single day we'd record the album every day live. And, and it was just so fun because it just, I felt like the, 
you know, you're at the top of your game in, the, in that situation. You're playing the entire album every Once we figured out all the parts and how we were going to do it, we'd record all 12 every day for two months or something like that and just tweak and this and that. And you just feel like you're in your, you know, top tier zone, just feeling good as a musician and being creative. And uh, I just felt like that was such a, such a wonderful, just across the board, cool experience for, for all of us, you know, cause we're all laughing. Everybody's got a great sense of humor and everybody's digging everybody's parts. It was just, that's, so that's you come up with, you come man. up with the songs. So you guys come up with the songs and then you, press play Elvis you know as a producer right you press play and record for everyone listening at home that doesn't really understand the process but basically you press play and record and you say we've got 12 songs you play all 12 songs you stop do some tweaks come back Tuesday play all 12 songs take it yeah. home tweak come back Wednesday play all 12 songs how long before the record is like how long before you go we're good everyone agrees or is it there's you know or is it slashes like that's it. We're good. Is it still a collective or is it one of those things where it's like, I think we got it. This is the record. The yeah. way we did it was um, we would, once we had all the arrangements, it was just us and the engineer. So it was the band and our engineer, his name's John and he was, he was the best. So uh, we would, he would feed us a click. You know, we'd walk in we'd walk in for the day. We sit on the couch, catch up a little bit. Okay. We're ready to do this. All right, here we go. And we go in the live room uh, put our in-ears in and just uh, John would feed us the click to song one. We'd play it. And then if we'd be like, uh, how do we feel about that? Uh, let's, let's do it one more time. Okay, no problem. Click comes in, knock it out. And then after a while, uh, we'd be like, hey, you know, why don't we, let's go, let's go inside the uh, actual control room and listen to that one. So we listen to it and be like, okay, why don't we try this? Record it again. And then, you know, add infinitum. So we just do that over and over. And uh, once we hit that point, it was like, okay, well, I think it's time for Elvis to come in. So we'd play the songs for him live. And then he'd go, okay, guys, let's do this. You know, why don't we move this here, move this here. Let's uh, maybe shorten this and then halftime here. And then once we got that arrangement, it was, it was time to actually go record. And so um, it's just so much fun, man. Like that, that, that entire experience was just, it felt like a whirlwind, but uh I loved it because it was so real. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that. Like what bands are, I mean, that's how Slash works. You know what I mean? And what bands are actually doing that to where they're record, doing it live for the most part, the entire time, you know, instead of just recording piece by piece uh, and then making an album and calling it a day. You know what I mean? We had, we had rehearsed it to where we could have played that album live on tour the next day, you know, just a whole lot of craziness. Be sure to catch part two of Brent's chat with Frank on next week's podcast. And if you want more music talk, get it with me, Todd Hancock, and the Toddcast podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And this week's podcast features ABC's rising star winner, Jesse Kinch. I absolutely love what was happening in California in the late 60s. I mean, you had... 
the Mamas and the Papas, the Jefferson Airplane. Uh, you had, you like, obviously, the Beach Boys. They were a California band. There's Jesse Kinch, the winner of ABC's Rising Star. We were talking about that rock documentary, Echo in the Canyon, which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, is incredible. The Brenton on Tour Music Cast is brought to you by the Toddcast Podcast. Follow us at Toddcast Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can hear the podcasts, the full interviews, and a lot more through ToddHancock.ca. Come say hey. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga, Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.